a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Dot, dot, dot. Star Wars, baby! In 1977, George Lucas, an exciting new voice in American cinema, was about to break out with an unimaginable hit film, unlike any the world had seen before. Star Wars changed the world of cinema and invented the business of blockbusters. Years later, he would reboot the series with the often unfairly maligned prequel trilogy. (laughs) And today, it's bigger than ever, with Disney having rebooted the franchise once again with a trilogy of sequels and a series of spin-off films. But before all that, Japanese auteur Akira Kurosawa made an action-adventure film that inspired that young American farm boy to remake the movie with robots and monsters. The total reboot Star Wars miniseries begins today with the original inspiration behind Star Wars, Akira Kurosawa's 1958 film, The Hidden Fortress. Hello, totalitarians, and hello, jungle babies. (laughs) You're listening to Total Reboot, the podcast where we look at the reboots, remakes, and rip-offs of cinema. I'm Cameron James. I'm currently sitting on a futon with a man who goes by the name of Alexi Toliopoulos. How are you, Lex? Cameron James, as I live and breathe. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be here. We're in freaking Melbourne, Australia right now. Yeah. You're here for the comedy festival. I'm here for lols. You're here to party, I, I mean, I'm a party animal this holiday Did season. Did you smuggle drugs in? Um, yeah, the only drug I smuggled is... Uh, an iPhone loaded with movies, baby. Yeah, so I can watch them whenever I please. What movies did you watch on your phone? On my phone on the way over, I did watch the movie that we shall be discussing today. <laughs> did you watch I it watched on your it. phone? I watched it on my phone. Sorry. Oh, just Sorry, as Kurosawa. <laughs> Sorry, baby. I watched it on my phone with my busted headphones. Oh, hey, I've got to say, though, by the way, hearing you do that opening crawl, mm-hmm. that opening vocal crawl, yes, baby. is the first time that I've ever felt like I'm actually on a movie podcast podcast hearing you actually talk about kurosawa and lucas and cinema history i was like oh yeah shit this isn't just two people fucking around yeah we do do research for this show Well, one of us does i can't help it baby i can't (laughs) help it total reboot is not only just about reboots remakes and ripoffs baby we're actually the only film podcast on the internet. Is that so, true? Yeah. I actually deleted one that tried to snuck in today. Wow. Who I tried hacked... to sneak in? Well, it was a little guy called Roger Egbert. And I went <laughs> in and deleted his whole podcast. That's one of the cool things about being the um, the originators mm. of this format, which is two men yep. discussing cinema on a, on a podcast format, is that we actually have... Admin rights to yeah. iTunes. We own. We own the format. Yeah. We own the format. We have a conglomerate over it. We have a monopoly over it. Yeah. So if you were thinking of starting a podcast with your male friends and you happen to be of male gender, <laughs> honestly, back the fuck up, brother. Can I say something, though? I think women are allowed to do it. Yeah, we can't stop that. I can't stop a woman from doing it. And nor would I. Absolutely no. No, absolutely no, no, no. not. I encourage it. I fact. think if someone wants to do a total reboot, yep. <laughs> gender flipped version, yep. same I'm artwork, all for it. Same artwork, absolutely, same I'm all music. For it. Uh, you can even honestly do the same movies as us. We can't stop you. Yeah, we can't stop you. And that would be a wonderful experiment. And we encourage you. And we will um, retweet yep. all your posts. Welcome to, Bl- uh, to Total Reboot with Cameron Diaz. Okay, now that's cool. <laughs> Yeah. And Alexi, 
Who's Sale. Sale. <laughs> yeah, Lexi Sale. <laughs> He's actually a male. Yeah. So. Well, it's a different, slightly different. Okay, all That's right. That's an age flip. This is cool stuff. So today we are going... <laughs> today is an exciting day for us. This is our first episode of an extended mini-series. This is yep. something that we've been really looking forward to doing where there's been more than one kind of incarnation or era of a franchise where there's clearly defined reboots and remakes along the way. Yeah, I think that's going to be a fun thing about this show is that we're going to be able to do longer mini-series about certain films that have definitely been rebooted mm. or remade a, a bunch of times. This one, obviously the beginning of it all, the Star Wars one. Yeah, this is it. Our first one is a big... We're going big. We're going, we're going Star Wars. We're going hard. And we've got some cool guests lined up to talk about future episodes. But today is just us. It's just us. The two original recipe total reboot bitches <laughs> talking about Star Wars. Now, Star Wars, to me... It's more than movies. What is it? It's magic. Okay. It's mythology. Okay. It's modern mythology. Interesting. I Star Wars to me is my favorite thing in the world. Yep. Um, but I love the movies, but I don't even think of them as films at all. I've said that to you many mm-hmm. times, mm-hmm. and every time you have that look, well, you pissed think- off look on your yeah, face, I do. Yeah. as if I've never said it before. You um you don't think of them as movies because they're not movies; they're episodes. They're episodes. <laughs> I think of it as a TV series with not many episodes. <laughs> um, but you know, I love Star Wars. I've read probably so many freaking Star Wars novels. I reckon I've read more Star Wars novels than I've read non-Star Wars novels <laughs> in my life because I just know the language. I know what it's going to be. I can imagine it all. I just love the adventures that you can have in this universe. Sure. So far, far away. Who, uh, <laughs> who is um, your favorite Star Wars character? Uh, Captain- and you have to say Boba Fett. Okay, Boba Fett. He's so <laughs> sick, dude. I love I but that's why I love our Star Wars. There's so many like weird little characters that I know so much about. Like who? Uh you know, Sabulba, he's one of the yeah. he's one of the pod racers. I yesterday I had a this is a personal anecdote I shall share. Excellent. That's uh, actually a good way to endear yourself to an yes. audience. <laughs> well, uh me and a few friends, Henry Stone and a few others, uh we went to uh a hotel a pub. In mm. Newtown, where they used to run an open mic, I think they still run it there. And um, it, at, before you enter the room, there's like a giant Star Wars poster from Episode mm. One and the original trilogy, where it's got all the little characters. Like there's like mm. 150 characters on there. And I had a memory of just always before going on stage, would stand across that poster and just point and go, "This one's called Gasgano. This one's in this oh name. All God. of them." <laughs> yeah, it was like so. It really set me back and set me up perfectly for the Star Wars. Why do you care so much off. about these? Um- um, alien creatures. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I just really dig the universe. I okay. think that's what it is. Is just to see some a universe in storytelling that's just so fully realized mm. on a different, like it's a truly the real multimedia universe that's out in the world like Mm. the matrix kind of tried to do it a little bit Mm. but i don't think anything has and maybe ever will kind of have that fully realized you like it's a totally real universe now basically Mm. you know Mm. what i mean i mean Mm. not totally real i sound like a ridiculous (laughs) moron but it's just something that uh it it, it exists there's so much written about it that you can just pick up a story 
But the movies have yet to do that. It's always been the same kind of thing over and over again. Mm. And mm. like I'm, I'm bringing this all up because Star Wars is so important to me. I listen to a lot of Star Wars podcasts. I'm sorry, I am a true nerd. This is. I'm sorry, guys. I am a true nerd. Yeah. I'm not the babe killer you thought I was. No, no, no. You can you can be a nerd and still honestly be a babe killer. Mm. And honestly. I'm so glad that people are using that slang babe killer. <laughs> That's a real thing that people say. And yeah. it's definitely not something that you made up just now. Yes, I'm a babe killer. I'm a babe killer. <laughs> so watch out for me, babies. <laughs> but I think what I want to do with this little mini series was I want to start it in the place that we are starting today. Because it is known, it is quite well known that Akira Kurosawa's 1958 film, The Hidden Fortress, mm-hmm. is the the genesis of many of the ideas for George Lucas's Star Wars, the original one from 1977, now dubbed A New Hope, episode four. A long time ago, there was a couple of droids. They were up to no good. You don't have to recap A New Hope. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) it is the genesis of those ideas. And I think uh, in Star Wars culture... In Star oh, Wars, I want to stop you right there. <laughs> in Star Wars fan culture, there has not been what I think enough people going back to the genesis of these mm. ideas, and I think there's a bit of a film illiteracy amongst the fandom where they have not had the opportunity to go back and visit these films that created what they love. Can I posit something? Yeah, Star Wars fans aren't. They're, film fans. They're not film fans. They don't give a shit. There's a few of us. There's me. There's Angus Truscott. Yeah, I think there's, there's a not too many. I think Star Wars fans nowadays are rarely even Star Wars fans. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> I don't know. They like it's it's the feeling that you love mm. more than the filmmaking a lot of the time, yeah. perhaps. And there is no matter how much George Lucas will wax lyrical about the war films, the westerns, mm. and the samurai films that inspired his movies. Very few people will make that leap back to watch those. Yeah, things. you and are honestly, of the rare obs- exception. It took me a long time. I didn't see the Hidden Fortress until like three years ago. Yeah, and why did you watch it then for film school? No, I just decided to finally do it. Okay. I bought it on Criterion Blu-ray, and I was like, I will finally watch this film. All right, and I'm very glad I did. I'm glad that we're going to talk about it today. Yeah, I'm glad. Um, that you're going to be talking about it today because I know very fucking little about Star Wars and even less about Kurosawa. Mm. This is the first Kurosawa I've ever seen. <gasps> oh my God. Well, then yeah. I'm so excited to talk about it and yeah. find out your initial reactions. Cameron, shall we just dive straight into this let's, episode? Let's dive in. Let's do a bomb dive. Okay, baby. Splash. <laughs> That was a trailer to The Hidden Fortress, directed by Akira Kurosawa. Japanese peasants Matashi and Tahi try and fail to make a profit from a tribal war. They find a man and a woman who they believe are simple tribe members hiding in a fortress. Although the peasants don't know that Rokurota is a general and Yuki is a princess, the peasants agree to accompany the pair to safety in return for gold. Along the way, the general must prove his expertise in battle while also hiding his identity. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, out of the two of us, which one is Matashi and which one is Tahi? 
<laughs> um, I think I am Matashi because he which has no he? beard and you have a beard, <laughs> which Tahi does have. All right. And that's the only common traits that we have. Um, also, we're two squabbling morons. We're silly, Not unlike these guys. We're greedy. Yeah. We're always mucking around in the filth. Yeah. And you, might I say, stink of corpses. And might I say, you stink of corpses too. And it might be your smell that you're detecting. Yeah, it could be. Which is the opening lines of the film. That was Not actually unlike Star Wars. very funny shit that we yeah. just did then, if you've never seen The Hidden Fortress. If you've never seen it, you probably didn't get it. But and get that's with fine. the program. Honestly, get with the program, dudes and Yeah, dudettes. get with the freaking program. Jack into the hidden fortress. <laughs> uh, so we are discussing this as in terms of a Star Wars original and influence. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think in film history, that is what this film is mainly known as. But at least for Westerners, for that's Westerners. all I know about it is that George Lucas has been openly saying that he kind of cribbed notes from it mm. since... The 70s, I think he's even... It's been a long time and he's I, been doing he it. He has, yeah. He's always been very open about it. And I think um, there is... With that knowledge, which is hard not to go in without, you can see so many things in mm. this film that are directly in Star Wars, reinterpreted for Star Wars in different ways. Um, but... I often wonder, had I not known that if I just saw this movie, I feel that if I had seen it without the context of where it sits culturally now, it would be more like I'm recognizing something, but is it just genre? I don't know if it's an exact Star Wars thing that I would recognize, but going in, it's unmistakable. Well, yeah, when you know that, and that's all I did know about it, you can't help but look for the parallels. But honestly, I tried to watch it as someone who... You know, didn't know that piece of information, mm. and I think what what I get from it is that it's a fairy tale, yeah. Which is essentially that's the plot of every fairy tale that there's someone who has to rescue a princess mm. and get her back to safety and restore the kingdom, and that's the plot of this movie. That also happens to be the plot of Star Wars, mm. but it's the plot of fucking heaps of stuff. Yeah, like Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, blah blah blah. They're all that story. Every western. So, so I would like, you know, have felt movie. like I would have watched it and gone. Um, oh yeah, this is just the a hero story that I've seen a million mm. times before. But I think it's very different from a hero's journey film as well because we are not following the heroes. Yeah. If this was a traditional hero story narrative, we would be either following the general played by Toshiro Mifune or Princess Yuki played by Misa Uyuahara. Yeah, um, and that's some of the uh, criticisms that I've read is that you know they say that these Matashi, Matashi and Tahe, the two peasant characters mm. who open the film, they are the you know inspirations for C three PO and R two D two, but Star Wars isn't about C three PO and R two D two. It's it's told they introduce the story, but yeah. it's not their story. We whereas we, this film, I would say, is the story of those two peasants, and we see the the world of the film completely from their perspective. Yeah, 100%. There's, there's, oh, there maybe are, not. There's, there not are times it, it goes away from them. We do bit. divert to see perspective of the general. We do divert to see perspective of the princess at different points. Yeah. Um, but I think that genesis of the idea is so clear when you're watching it here. And mm. it makes sense when you know Lucas originally wanted C-3PO to be like a used car salesman. Mm. And that was going to be the case until uh, um, the designer... 
whose name is escaping me right and now. And you should know this. Ra- by the way. When the designer Ralph McQuarrie designed that very metropolis looking mm. character, and then that new Cephalopia was born. And so you see these kind of. This is a very grubby movie with these two mm. dirty little peasants yeah, they're dirty. telling the story. One of them's they're got greedy. His midriff exposed the whole time. Yeah. And when I'm watching it now, I see the other influences are for Kurosawa in this, who's someone who was very influenced by Western films and Western culture. More more so than many other of his contemporary Japanese filmmakers at the time. Was he a um, a fan of the actual genre, the Western? He loved it. John Ford was his biggest hero. John yep. Ford, of course, made movies like Stagecoach, mm-hmm. The Searchers, mm-hmm. um, was his biggest influence and a bit of a mentor to him. They became friends roughly around the time this film was being made, I think. There's a, a lot of stuff in then. it that is very cribbed from cowboy movies, mm. but I couldn't tell if that was just happening like parallel. If, they, mm. if it was something that, you know, is a coincidence that it's so similar to the Western. But if you're, you're saying that he kind of... Oh, he was inspired he's by John all Ford. about it. There was a great yeah. quote that I heard of him in an interview while researching this podcast, how he said he had a conversation with John Ford and he was saying that John Ford was the best guy to ever film a horse. No one mm. could film horses like him. And he talked, he asked him about it and John Ford said, you know, there's a secret to that. And he just told him and said, you can never reveal what I said to you. <laughs> so I think that's that's like a fun little film fact. That's a little cool little tidbit. Um, but I'll kind of give you a bit of cultural context to this film as well historical context so this at the time and for probably the next 10 years was Akira Kurosawa's biggest hit film so this came out four years after Seven Samurai which is probably a more iconic film mm-hmm. uh, and this was a really huge hit that would basically go on to fund the next 10-15 years of his career okay. before he would have to kind of come to people like Lucas and Coppola to make his films like Rand to give him funding for those films Mm. later on. So he he kind of lived on this hit for a long time. It was a huge hit in Japan and didn't make too much F... Like break into Western uh, cinema as big because in Japan and in Western cri- film criticism, it was kind of seen as like just a frivolous action adventure film with any mm. without anything deeper, like his art house films like Ikiru and stuff like that and Rashomon that had kind of made a bigger impact on a world stage. And so this was also his first really epic looking film because it was the first one filmed in Toho Scope which is a widescreen format before he'd filmed everything else in very square 4x3 4x3 mm-hmm. uh, style so this is kind of like him opening himself up to like a, to creating already someone who is a very fabulous visual storyteller to really up that ante and I think this film is one of his best looking films it's, it's a gorgeous. one that really defines his style as a filmmaker I did read that uh, that this is the first one filmed in that format and it kind of blew my mind because I think I've never seen Seven Samurai mm. in its entirety but in my mind from the clips I've seen of it I assumed that it's it looks like a western like yeah. it's a big gigantic epic looking film but it's not it's 4-3 well, it's an epic, but it is yeah. not. It's I think that's a common uh, one of those like Streisand effects things where people just assume that that's what we it's remember like. it differently, yeah. or something, or assume it's differently. Yeah, I uh, I love the look of this film. Mm. It's got so much landscape. Yeah, it looks incredible. Yeah, and it's giant wide shots and well, the framing. Uh, there's a moment kind of early on where the two um, peasant dudes. 
uh, you know, stumble upon their first bit of gold by accident. Yeah. And in the far background, deep background, you can see the general character watching them through yeah. two craters. I was like, whoa, this guy is fucking master. It's, it's, it's it is incredible. And I, I, George Lucas had a great quote about this where he said, Kurosawa was the last great filmmaker to be influenced by silent films. Uh, and I think that is yeah. really evident in this where it's just like, it's totally a visual story. Like this could have been a silent film and you could interpret it exactly as it is. Could have been Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. Oh, busting a two. couple of nuts up there. <laughs> <laughs> really goofing it up. Can I ask uh, something about the two lead characters? Yeah, now, yeah. They've been like compared... Obviously, C-3PO and R2-D2 are kind of the yeah. know, the, mod- the modern-ish versions of those two. What, well, I'd think- say modern is Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. My God, I love Jay and Silent uh, Bob. Cheech and Chong, all of them. Yeah, They're all the yeah, same. Yeah. More like smoke that bong. They absolutely would. Is that funny? I think it's one of the funniest things you've ever said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they absolutely would smoke a bong, Cheech and Chong. That's the cool thing about those guys is that they... Made weed culture mainstream. Yeah. They were basically... <laughs> they were the hidden fortress for Jane Silent Bob's Star Wars. 100%. If they you've ever seen Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, go back but and you've watch never seen, Cheech and Chong Up in Smoke. <laughs> you've never seen Up in Smoke. Yeah. You're not a real fan. You're not an actual fan. You're not a fan of film. You're a fan of weed. But dare I say <laughs> this, Jane Silent Bob fans aren't film fans. No, they're not. No, they're not. No, unfortunately, they're not. They're not. They're fans of weed. And I don't even know if they're fans of that anymore. No, I know. I know. I know. It's just weed nostalgia. Um, do you reckon it's possible that he was inspired by uh, those kind of like Laurel and Hardy type? Oh, yeah. Silent it's, movie, bumbling, Abbott Costello Abbot is one Costello. that kind of really came to me. I think so. But I would also say I know for... Uh, Kurosawa, he's also inspired by Shakespeare. Okay. And this kind of reads as like those full characters Rosen, in a Shakespeare. Rosen, and Gildenstern. Yeah, for sure. Because you know what came to mind for me uh, was the play, and this is this is showing off my theatre cred here, mm. um, Waiting for Godot oh, it's, by Samuel Oh, I can Beckett. see that too. And I wondered... Is that before? That's 1953. I had to look it yeah. up. I thought, is it coincidental or is it possible that Kurosawa had read a translation mm. of it from French to Japanese? I don't know if, if he did or not, but it's the same character type, two kind of tramps, essentially, who are wandering a wasteland and they go between being extremely close, almost romantic friends and then just purely hating each yeah. other and slapsticky violent towards each other. It's the yeah. same dynamic that Vladimir and Estragon from Waiting for Godot have. I wonder if that's just a coincidence or if this is just a trope I of feel like, like a double act that we're just seeing... Done again and again. It and again. definitely came as something for me as well watching it this yeah. time. I saw that too. I think it might just be that contemporary thing where mm. they are both influenced by the same kind of playwrights and same yeah. kind of storytellers. But I'm not sure. I couldn't find any information about that either. Yeah, maybe it is just a. Maybe I guess Godot was kind of riffing on Abbott and Costello as well. Yeah. So maybe it's all just stemming back from that kind yeah. of idea. I think on the on that of talking about like performers such as Abbott and Costello, um, the performances, there's a real contrast. Like one of the themes of this film, I would say, is kind of upstairs, downstairs, mm. uh, richer and poorer mm. kind of, you know, class. Yeah. Class is definitely uh, one of the highest themes in this. And I think it's a theme in Star Wars as well. Mm. Um, uh, that's one of the things I think it kind of cribs from it. But there's like a real difference in the performance style, almost like 
almost all, like I would compare it almost to like you know when a streetcar named Desire comes out and you've got Marlon Brando who's doing this very real he's naturalistic mumbling. he's chewing exactly. on apples and shit but then everyone else is very highly theatrical mm-hmm. like they're all they're great performances and it's odd to see these performances in the same film that are so different and from different schools mm. but somehow come together to make something cohesive and I think uh, this film does that masterfully, which is kind of the secret behind the kind of crazy, at the time, one-of-a-kind tone this film strikes, where we see these two bumbling peasants, Matashi and Tahi, where they are performed in a very broad, high vaudevillian style. Mm -hmm. Almost, like you are saying, almost Chaplin-esque, almost Abbott and Costello. it's slapstick at times. Totally slapstick. When they fight and they nearly kill each other with those stupid stakes or hose or whatever they're using to dig, it's... It's like a scene from a Keaton movie. Yeah. And then it comparing and contrasting it to uh, the princess and the general who are played by general by Toshiro Mifune are uh, very almost like wooden in their performances. Mm. Like it, it, but still it's super effective the way they're doing it in that kind of very stilted wooden uh, shouty, uh, very precise manner of acting mm. uh, almost like a John Wayne performance or something like that yeah. uh, and I think Toshiro Mifune he's kind of Japan's John Wayne is how he's I describe incredible. him or Steve McQueen what's he sort of is he known he's for a lot of like Kurosawa 17, stuff? 17 Kurosawa films or is something. he a fighter He's um he's a, just an action movie star he's basically incredible. and he's done so many of Kurosawa's films. He's the lead in a film we mentioned on this podcast, High and Low, mm-hmm. where he plays the basically parish shoes owner whose yeah. son gets goes missing, uh, <laughs> which I'm sure we'll get to do a full episode on because that turned into the movie Ransom. Oh, it's based on right, the same book. Right, right. Um, so it's like he he's just one of those guys. He's like a full on. Japanese movie star hero. And then the actress that they cast as a princess is... Uh, she was a newcomer at the time. They discovered her for mm. this film. And her way of speaking, which you mentioned... Mm. Yeah, it started to grate on me at the mm. time. It felt like theatre. Yeah. It felt like... I don't know what... Like a real performative mm. style of speaking. And she was fine, you know. But it was just the same angry, shouty tone the whole time. Yeah. Which I... I'm not used to. I haven't watched much they, Japanese cinema. Is the way that they created her character was they made her like masculine. Yeah. And so they kind of created <laughs> her to be like this kind of almost Joan Crawford-y type, yeah. very business, very stern character who speaks with like masculine, uh, not masculine dialect, but like masculine speech pattern. Yeah, right. Is what they were saying. And that's why in the movie they have to make her mute when they're <laughs> instead of, because she, there's no way she could pass as anything but the princess. Yeah. Let's we're talking about these four characters now. Should we talk about them as compared and contrasted yeah, Star I mean, Wars characters? That's what we're doing. So yeah. already we talked about the peasants. They're clearly C three PO and R two D two. But also bumbling. they're Han and Chewie in some ways as well. They have like that mm. kind of dynamic where they're sort of yeah. mocking each other but like each other. Yeah, and, it's that it's that double act Star Wars. Yeah. Those classic Star Wars double acts, and I think they're. What's your favorite classic Star Wars double act? Probably BB eight and Ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're so freaking funny They're together. They're so funny, dude. What's your favorite uh, gag that BB does? When he freaking gives the finger to that guy. That was cool shit. Yeah, that's so hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that should go in the um, hundred greatest laughs of all time. I think so. It's so funny. Yeah. 
Oh, God, BB-8. God, to see him on stage again. I mean, he came, when's he going to get back on the board? He did headliners. Yeah. At the Melbourne Comedy Festival yeah. where they got the overseas acts to do it. <laughs> and he crushed it. Yeah. Well, he came from Last Comic Standing. Or oh, Last man. Comic Rolling, more like it. That was his opening gag. Oh, I, oh shit. I thought so I you did crib that. it from him, but so, it's yeah, funny. I've, I've yeah. cribbed that from BB-8. Yeah. <laughs> and good on you because he's one of your influences. I modeled my whole life on the guy. Oh, God. I love seeing you hop into your little ball yeah. and roll around and go... Doo, 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 doo. Yeah, it never does as well as when he did yeah. it. Yeah. I like seeing you not do it on stage. I like it when you just do it for me. Just around the house. <laughs> yeah, around yeah. the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so classic Star Wars double acts. That's, uh, mm. that's R2 and C3. Yeah. And I, that's what I call them. <laughs> R2, C3. They're two funny fellas. They just love mucking around. But it's that the way that they interact is that thing where it's like um, it's two people that are so... Um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Where it's like... Uh, like, you can't live without... Oh, uh, like, uh, symbiotic. Yeah, so symbiotic. Yeah. And it's just, they have that... Um, uh, what's that thing where it's like, they just can't exist without the other in any way. Some, codependence? Codependent is what I was trying to think of. They have such a codependent relationship yeah. where they do separate, like C-3PO and R2-D2 in the desert of Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And then when they come back together, they're so excited to see each yeah. other. They can't ever imagine being apart again. Yeah, so it's like these two again. There's a funny part towards the end of the movie where they've nearly died so many times. And I think Tahe says to the other one, let's be friends forever. Yeah. Let's make sure we keep hanging out when we get back to our village. Yeah. And then immediately they both coincidentally discover a whole bunch of gold and start fighting over the yeah, gold. the trying, greed. Trying to kill each other. Yeah. It's like, that's their relationship. Which... And that's kind of their emotional arc in the film is mm. that they are kind of ruled by greed, but in the end, it just becomes about their friendship, about each yeah. other. Yeah. Yeah, and then we have the princess, who I think is actually quite a close resemblance to Princess Leia as yeah, well. Yeah, very similar. Mm. Uh, Leia's also quite, like, masculinized a little mm. bit, I guess, yeah. in Star Wars. She's not... A damsel in distress. She's a, a a dame with no shame. Yeah, <laughs> she's shameless, dameless. <laughs> she's like trying to solve shit. She's organizing rebellions. She's she's like a real hero in Star Wars. She yeah. probably doesn't even need to be saved. To oh be no, not at all. No, no, no. Um, it's pretty much a straight match there. They're yeah. pretty much the same character. They're, yeah, I think the only difference is that she... Well, the storyline-wise... Mm. Allow me to freaking break it down, bitch. Please, break it down, bitch. Well, in Star Wars, they have to rescue Princess Leia, even though she's someone that doesn't quite need rescuing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but technically, she does need rescuing because she can't get out of the Death Star. Sure, um, dude. Yes, uh, that is that is a fact. <laughs> um, she would not have been able to get out by herself, <laughs> even though she protests much unlike that. Um, but it also, the storyline of trying to sneak a princess across borders mm. um, is uh, the Phantom Menace. Oh, yeah. It's exactly the Phantom Menace. And also she has like body doubles and stuff like that. Yeah, and the right. body double, uh, sadly, we do lose the body double. Tragically, tragically, the body double does pass away. The body double does get absolutely executed in and this film. And Princess Yuki is gutted. She's gutted beside herself, which I think is one of the best moments, if mm. not the best emotional moment of the film, where yep. she is really pissed off that this is so- someone has had to make the ultimate sacrifice for her. She yep. didn't want mm. that to happen. And it's played for this amazing emotional moment where you find out that it is the general's sister yeah. that is the one that has been killed. And especially leading up to that moment when, you f- when uh, Matashi returns 
who went to the village, the local village, to try to reveal the information that he knew the princess existed. But by the time he gets there, he finds out that it was not the princess because the princess has been executed. And then you, there's this whole extended sequence where you just see the general walk away quite sad and defeated with the heavy breathing. And then you don't know what... that mm. doesn't That's not revealed till later, like why he's feeling that. Yeah. And then he has to play it cool to the princess saying that, yes, this is a sacrifice that we make. And we and he has to play it off emotionlessly there. And that seeing this on a second or third time this time now uh, was like... It fucked me up, brother. Serious? Yeah, because I just didn't... I didn't never saw this as an emotional movie before. Yeah, right. I saw this as like a really fun, rollicking action film. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment that you realize that you're actually watching a family drama. I'm watching fucking art, man. Yeah. I actually would not have picked that up if you hadn't brought that up. Yeah, it, was, uh, it literally took me three viewings to notice that. Hmm, interesting. Interesting shit. Thanks, man. Really now, let's appreciate, talk about the general character. I really appreciate my insides being sung on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, dude. The general character, he's a bit of Obi-Wan, a little bit of Han Solo all yeah. combined. Yeah, he's both of those, I would say. He's got a bit of the dashing rogue mm. of Han. He's quite cool. He's definitely a cowboy. <clears throat> yeah. He's definitely a cowboy character because he... Rides like a horse. A, he rides a horse like a cowboy. And he wears a hat in one scene. <laughs> <laughs> he wears a hat in one scene just like a cowboy. Um, but also, I think it's that thing where cowboy characters can be ruthless and also merciful. Oh, yeah. You know that thing where it's like they have the power to be ruthless and badass, but they can show mercy to show that they are like a real person. Like, that's very much that John Wayne archetype to me. Yeah. Something like The Searchers is very much like this. Um, don't you see a lot of Han Solo in this character? I mean, it's essentially the same yeah. sort of character type. It's yeah, the, definitely. The hero, like the hero, he's basically yeah. the hero. Well, Han's a freaking cowboy, man. Han is a cowboy. He has a fucking low slung gun. Yeah, he's got low slung gun. He's got boots. He's got boots. He wears a vest, and he's friends with a freaking animal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just like a horse. Yeah, exactly. Chewie is like a horse. Yeah, I wish I was a Chewie. You wish there was a Chewie in this movie. Oh, that's why the remake is so good, because it's got Chewie in it. <laughs> George Lucas invented monsters for that film. I'll tell you what the uh, what this film is lacking, and that is uh, any kind of stand-in for Luke Skywalker. That is the main difference. Yeah. Where we were saying before that this is kind of a hero's journey film without an actual hero. Yeah. There's no chosen one in it. There's no one whose adventure and destiny it is to kind of mm. bring back the Yukamazi yeah. <laughs> empire, really. It's it's interesting for that reason, I think. Yeah, even at the end, they um, once they get the princess back to her, you know, kingdom mm. and they return all the gold and stuff, she and the Han Solo guy are both just like, yep, that's done. Yeah. There's much more we can do. Yeah. Good. Get out of here, you two. Like, there's no big... There's no family celebration. There's no fanfare. They just get one bar of gold. Yeah, one bar of gold that they have to share, I guess. Yeah, it was like... It, that's the one thing it's lacking. There is no true hero to the story. You mm. just get to go on an adventure. But that's I, fine. I, I think that was fun. Yeah, and I think that's what Lucas has said was his influence, even though he did reverse that because he is such a hero's journey guy. He's a yeah. Joseph Campbell fucking fanatic, mm. Mr. Mm. Lucas is. Yeah, he loves that. He dude. bangs on about Campbell all the He's time. He's always like, hero with a thousand faces, hero's journey, blah, blah, blah. Get the guardian, get the mentor, bring them together. 
Cross the thresholds. Cross the streams. <laughs> but I think um, he says that he he fell in love with the idea of telling a huge epic story from the least important people's perspective. Mm. And I think that is how we do get that introduction of those characters. And even, I guess, Luke Skywalker is, starts as a fucking farm boy. Yeah, much like George Lucas himself. Oh, dude. He's a ranchero. Is he? I think. And he grew up in... He Modesto, grew up, California. He grew up on Skywalker Ranch. That's so cool. But he just is his new, his yeah, new I know. ranch. I know. He actually named it after the character of Luke Skywalker. Actually, no, Skywalker. man. You don't need to tell me this um, shit. Luke Skywalker is the main character from Jesus Star Wars. Christ. And he built a freaking empire, not unlike <laughs> not unlike Darth Vader. And his original name was Starkiller. <laughs> Which Wait, was, how did you know that? Which was referenced in um, The Force Awakens. <laughs> how did you know that, dude? Because I'm fucking literate, dude. Okay. I know about stuff. Even yeah, though I may okay. not care about it, I absorb information <laughs> and it stays within me. I'm a freaking sponge or like I'm like a rocket ascending and I'm sucking in all the oxygen around me, using it as fuel. Yeah. Are, and you, you are just caught in my fucking engine. That's oh, all gosh. you are. You are just oxygen and dust being caught up in my engine as I ascend to the heights of film criticism. Can I ask you, what's your fucking glitch, bitch? Excuse me? What's your fucking glitch, bitch? What's your damage, dude? <laughs> What's your major malfunction? What's your prob, Bob? <laughs> Honestly, I've got no problem, Gogolo. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite part of this movie? And I'll tell you mine first. <laughs> My favourite part of this movie is when we step away from the peasant characters and the princess and we just go along with... General Han Solo. Mm. I can't remember the real character. Yeah, when we see him go full battle mode. When he goes full battle mode and he fights his nemesis one on one. Oh, which is a fucking fabulous scene. I'll be honest with you, I was starting to space out. Mm. Which is ironic because Star Wars is set in space. (laughs) Star Wars is one of the few movies genuinely set in space. Yeah, but uh, I was starting to go, okay, I'm getting a bit over this movie. It's a bit tedious. Mm. As soon as we got to that bit, the fight scene was so incredible, well choreographed and well paced. The lead up to it when he's picking his weapon... Oh. And it's all done in one wide. One humongous wide. Shows the entire army surrounding him. And every time... He's one man. Every time he does a slight yeah. jab or movement with the lance that he's trying to pick, every soldier in the army flinches. Re- his reputation wide, comes in that wide. It's incredible. Like That's the scene where I went, this guy actually is... Cool. And also leading up to that where he basically rips a guy off a horse yeah. and just shot in this like amazing way. It's so much like that Return of the Jedi speeder bike sequence oh. where he's like chasing people on horses yeah. and just can't, and breaks into their base. It's just like, how the fuck could you have made this in 1958? It's like, I don't, incredible. With massive cameras of film and just like film reeling through those cameras. Yeah. It's phenomenal to just think about how that can even be happening. Whereas now they do it all just for CG. CG, man. And it's better for it. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, I love CGI. It just looks better. It looks better. It just looks sicker. If they could make this move like Shrek and like... And Bugs Life characters, that'd be really <laughs> fantastic. Crazy Frog. Crazy. If they could get Bring, 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 Bing Bar to be in this movie yeah. with his little Ikte, just. I love that little Ikte. <laughs> just him seeing the little Ikte flap in the wind as he's jousting. I loved that fight scene so much. Uh, it, it's so. 
it's so well choreographed where it just feels real. Yeah. And you can just see the full power and ferocity of Toshiro Mifune. It's also the um, probably the most like Japanese part of the movie that I maybe expected to see where mm. it's just kind of, it is about, it's a scene with two warriors who choose to fight in an honorable way. They don't, they're not dirty. They just want to, they want to prove themselves as warriors and they are willing to die if they deserve mm. to die. Yeah. When, when old mate wins and the guy gets down on his knees and just says, kill me or whatever he says, I was like, yeah, that's so cool. There's something yeah. so cool about watching honor in fights. I know, right? People are like, well, I deserve to die. Chop my head off, please. Tell my wife I love her or whatever. Yeah. It's really cool. And I, I was very impressed by that whole sequence. They gave me a second wind. Yeah. I think that film, this film is very deliberately paced like that. Like mm. there's something so exciting about this way this film, like it's the it's such an accessible film. I think this is its importance as the influence for the biggest film franchise that ever exists is really good and it's important for I think people discovering world cinema mm-hmm. because this is such an easy place to start watching foreign language films or older black and white films from other countries that are not in the English language. It's such an easy place to start. It's so accessible because it is similar to what we know and love in Westerns and mm. Western films like Star Wars. Um, and it's it's similar to those. You can see the progeny of all of those things. But it also is different enough where you're like, I'm understanding the like an entire culture's cinema from this mm. film as well. Can I ask you a question? You may. Actually, first of all, I didn't get your answer to what's your favorite part of this movie. So why don't you answer that first? Um, probably. Oh, there's a lot to love. I think one of my favorite parts is when uh, they, when the the fellowship of those those four the fellowship people, fellowship of the ring, the fellowship of the bling, because it's gold, baby, yeah. and my axe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when they when they've left the fortress some time ago, and then they look up the mountain and they see that the fortress has mm. been destroyed. When they see the smoke coming down from the mm. fortress, there's just that shot. I think is magnificent, and I think that moment holds like an emotional, um, emotional context for those characters because we just found out from seeing that that those those three other people that were up at the fortress yep. just gave their lives so that they could escape. Do you think it's a little bit like Leia watching her planet be destroyed? I think it's a total Death Star moment mm. like that. I mm. think it it conveys that Alderaan being destroyed, yep. but also conveys them seeing the Death Star for the first time. Yeah. I feel like that was kind of a mo- those two moments mm. combined. Yeah, that's a nice moment. I Yeah, God, I actually would never have even thought to compare that to Star Wars. Okay, th- that brings me to my next mm. point, which is... How much do you think the influence on Star Wars has been overstated or embellished by George Lucas or by film criticism? Um, I don't think that much because I see it when I watch it. Mm. But if I had not known it, I don't know if I would be able to exactly identify this is that. Okay. It's just, but it's just the tropes in general, mm. isn't it? There's the yeah. tropes in general, but there's that. I think for me, it's the tonal thing. Okay. Like... Star Wars is like a big adventure, but it's fun because the characters are fun and funny and they like hanging out with each other. Mm. They like riffing with each other. They love, <laughs> they love doing bits and bantering. But you know, there's like a, there's, um, there's a certain grubbiness to both of those films where mm. they have a really lived in world and it's a huge world in both of these films where 
we see these characters. They say they stink of corpses at the start mm. of the film. And then we see the world that they're living in where they kind of become these like disgusting guys that have to mine for gold in like <laughs> in a in a like a bevy of another two hundred slaves with them. And I think the, those those things of it being a lived in world with a very realized a realized atmosphere around it and the tone that it's hitting with these fun characters and the the kind of very fast pacing for one a 1958 film from Japan mm. and an epic film and two a star, like a, a science fiction movie from the 70s mm. American cinema both of those films are paced like a bitch that doesn't exist in that time and I'm <laughs> saying bitch I mean a female dog okay, that is right. greyhound racing terminology what do you mean by that Tell me I think both of these films are just, they're so fast paced for films of their era I don't know I mean I thought that um, Hidden Fortress Took a while to warm up. It's a two mm. and a bit hour movie. It's but it throws into you it. into it. It does. It starts right in the middle of the action. But I think the first 40 minutes was leisurely. Yeah. It wasn't like it was rollicking, rollicking along. But though, it's like, not like... it's not. It doesn't feel slow. Like, it just feels leisurely, I think, for yeah. those minutes. And then when we do start getting into the actual adventure, then it ramps up quite a bit. Yeah, I definitely did start to get more interested at a certain mm. point. But at first, I was thinking it was going to be a quite a long night for me, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because I got home quite late anyway. Mm. I was like, not to brag or anything, but I was... um. Partying, dude. Holy shit, you do that? Yeah, I had a few drinks and stuff. Get the and... fuck out. I yeah, thought man. we were saving ourselves. What? For that big party up in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been not drinking and stuff? I've never. Oh my god, dude. I've been drinking, smirking. Oh my god, you've been wearing merkins? Doing cocaine. <laughs> oh my god, dude. Yeah, dude. Oh my gosh! Sorry, no. man. I only I've drunk mead a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I make my own mead at home. Really? Yeah. Well, that's actually cool. I just pour vodka over honey and drink the honey pot. <laughs> Is that how you make mead? Do you pour vodka over saganaki cheese? <laughs> <laughs> so, I do a vodka saganaki. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's delicious. Beautiful. Yeah. So I got home quite late. I didn't put it on till ten thirty mm. or something. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And that- then when I. When it got to like, you know, quarter past 11, heading yep. towards 11.30, I was thinking, boy, you guys better start fighting soon to yeah. keep me interested. <laughs> and then it did kick off and I was really into it. But as a whole, does it satisfy you? Now that you've reached the end of that adventure, do you see the worth in having it yes, begin with these two I peasant am, characters? I was definitely... Yeah, I was definitely interested. Mm. I definitely enjoyed it. I don't think I loved it as much as perhaps you, mm. but I did enjoy the film. Yeah. I th- really thought this would be way more up your alley because it has that kind of, dare I say it, Guardians of the Galaxy vibe that you love so much <laughs> where it's a fun adventure with fun characters. How basic of a bitch do you think I am? <laughs> no, I just... I know that you like adventure movies. I and I know that you like adventure movies with, like, kind of fun, almost anachronistic characters in them. Yeah, that's true. I think maybe more so than a Star Wars type, mm. I prefer an Indiana Jones type. So yeah, see, it, that's kind of what I was thinking this yeah. might be a bit like for you. It is a bit. It is a bit like that. Mm. Yeah, and I was I was getting into it for sure, but yeah. I just don't think I loved it. But maybe it's because I brought in the baggage of Star Wars with mm, it. Perhaps. And I knew that I was going to be watching it to try and find parallels. Yeah. And as soon as those screen wipes started, Started happening. I was like, "Oh, okay, here we go." We we're see in- a lot of it there. Yeah, yeah, we're in we're in this world now. But um, 
Yeah, I think maybe if I didn't have the baggage of it, if I just thought I was watching a, a Kurosawa film mm. about warriors or samurais or something, I probably would have enjoyed it more. Yeah, but was this a good enough access point for you to kind of explore those other Kurosawa films, well, yeah. perhaps, or Japanese cinema? Yeah, but it's not much of a push for me to want to watch that anyway, because yeah. I've been wanting to watch those films for a long time. Well, I think we'll have plenty of opportunity to talk about that shit on this podcast. Now, what else has of his has been spun off or remade into well, of course, Seven Samurai? Probably most famously is Seven Samurai, yeah. uh, which was four years before this one. It was up until this film that was his biggest hit. Yep. Um, and that, of course, became The Magnificent Seven. Yep, which then became The Ridiculous Six. <laughs> and The Magnificent <laughs> Seven once again, but also A Bug's Life. Oh, yeah. And that's shit. kind of Inspired by uh, that's inspired a lot of films of that ilk where it's like a team, yep. the assembling of a team Kelly's coming together. Heroes. Kelly's Heroes, mm. stuff like Ocean's Eleven. Yep. It's like a lot of those films where it's a the crack expert team or yep. like a false expert team coming together to execute a plan. Fast and the Furious. Fast and Furious is Seven Samurai, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But or there's another film that that inspired and Star Wars also inspired called Battle Beyond the Stars that I'd mm. love to do on this podcast. It's in that slew of films in the late. 70s, early 80s that are just absolute Star Wars ripoffs, <laughs> and that's a Roger Corman film that's written by John Sayles, the great John Sayles, <laughs> and it's Seven Samurai set in space, and they've got like ridiculous, stupid-looking aliens in it and spaceships and stuff. And so I'd love to do another future mini series of okay. Kurosawa. And what, else, what was the other one you were saying? Um, High and Low. High and Low. That's personally my favorite, and that was my first Kurosawa film. Okay. Um, that's uh, it's based on the novel King's Ransom. Mm-hmm. Which was became also the film Ransom with Mel Gibson. Yep, starring our Mel. Starring our beloved Mel Gibson. <laughs> Is it Forrest Whitaker as well? I've never seen Ransom. Oh uh, yeah. I don't I think I saw it. I think it's the Ron Howard joint. Awesome. Whoa, George Lucas's best mate. Yeah. So director yeah. of Solo. Solo. Then we will be discussing at the end of this miniseries. Solo yeah. will be the final one. So I think there's a lot I'm excited to kind of explore those other Kurosawa films because he's such an influence on Western cinema as we know it today. Well, uh, yeah, I'm keen to do that. I'm keen to watch more. And obviously, we have to because we've committed to we've it committed now. to it. Are you excited to continue on our Star Wars journey now, going into the more familiar trodden territory? Well, I think because I've seen the originals a few times and I've seen the prequels at least once mm. each, I'm going to be in more comfortable, familiar terrain. Mm. So I am excited to see. And I think because we'll be watching them again... I'll probably be seeing other things that I didn't notice mm. in the Hidden Fortress kind of peeking their way. Like, I never would have made that Phantom Menace connection that you just made before. Yeah. So, I'll start noticing little things like that as well, which will be interesting. For Phantom me. Menace connection would be a great name for a movie. Well, yeah, it's just it's just the name of a movie that already exists. And then also French Connection put together. Yeah. I think I'm going to write that spec. I mean... <laughs> Maybe don't. Like, you don't have to write... Oh, yeah, I am a little busy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to write a full 90-page script based on one word that I combined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really yeah you're right. That, I'm yeah. a fucking idiot. I yeah. shouldn't do that shit. That's my thing. Um, I'm, I'm going to go jump. Yes I'm going to jump. You're going to jump, what, off a building? Yeah, yeah. Don't do that either. Um, okay, I won't do that either. See, this is my role in your life <laughs> is to just honestly talk you out of the bullshit. <laughs> yeah, um... I gotta figure some shit out. Actually, yeah, you got a lot of deep shit going on, dude. Um, You're in I, deep dog do. I'm in deep dog duty. 
well, anyway, we talked about the Timon and Pumbaa of, uh, <laughs> of Japanese cinema in this podcast today. I'm really glad we got to have this conversation. Yeah, me I too. think it's been fun to kind of talk about a film that we don't have to shit on in any <laughs> in any way, really, with this. Yeah, I like know. there's no Freddy. There's no. There's no. <laughs> There's no shit in it, really. Yeah, it has been interesting to watch something that is genuinely regarded as a classic mm. rather than just some piece of shit set in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be out of the jungle, that's all I can say. But it's great to be with you, jungle babies. That brings us to the end of our discussion on The Hidden Fortress. Before we say goodbye, we're going to talk about a little movies that we have watched recently. This is our segment called What Have You Watched? What have you seen? What have you watched? What, 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 blah, 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 blank slate. Cameron, what's a movie that you've chucked on recently? Look, I came home late from another one of my famous nights of partying. Yeah, okay. You love to party. You're a party animal. You're the John Belushi of the <laughs> Australian <laughs> yeah. comedy yeah, scene. I was doing speed balls. I was drinking whiskey from the bottle. Oh, I my God. climbing the walls. Okay. Out of control. I come home late. Mm-hmm. It's midnight. It's the witching hour. God. I'm still I'm all honestly spooked up. out. Yeah, I'm still all pepped up from the party. I go, you know what? I can't sleep. I've got to pop on a movie. What's on Netflix? What's the recommended thing that comes up first? Probably some dumb shit. Yep, you're exactly <laughs> right. It was Game Over, man. The movie by the Workaholics crew. Oh, okay. The, is it the whole crew? Like the same directors? It's the whole and crew. Stuff like that. Kyle wow. Newichek, who directs the show. Mm. Uh, all three of those boys again. Yeah. It's a diehard spoof, essentially. Okay. Have you seen it? Or seen I've seen the trailer. I know Shaggy makes an appearance. Shaggy in the makes a cameo appearance. It's essentially a ninety or an eighty-minute workaholics episode, but it's parodying action tropes. Mm. It's got some funny shit in it. It's also one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Did in you my life. enjoy it though? Was it enough that you were kind of on a on a bender that you could enjoy? <laughs> like, because I've heard that this film has not been getting like very positive play. Oh no, it's not like a good movie at all. Mm. But it was. Definitely fun, and you know, I can imagine if you were someone who wanted to watch something stupid and mindless, you'll get enough out of it. There are a lot of dick jokes, like so. Spoiler alert: Adam Devine has a fight scene in this where he is naked from the waist down, and you just see. <laughs> is he wearing a shirt? Yeah, he's wearing a shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And you just see his dick and balls flopping around for like four <laughs> minutes while he's fighting someone. Honestly, you've sold me on this yeah. movie now. Yeah. It's all just that level of comedy. Yeah, just dick jokes. Um, Shaggy has a cameo. Yep. and it's making fun of Die Hard. That's all you need to know. Oh, yeah. and they smoke a lot of weed in the movie. Oh, of hell yes, brother. Yeah, they're kind of like the heirs to Jay and Silent Bob in many ways. Oh, God, they twisted by putting Jay and is a character now. Yeah, Jay and, and Silent, Silent Bob. Bob. Yeah, it's really cool shit. Okay, well, I'm glad you've seen it, and I might watch it now as well. Yeah, I reckon you'll definitely watch it, dude, and spark up a big fat. Joy. Honestly, I'm a weed master, baby. You put a spliff in front of me and I'll freaking light the little bitch up, toke on one end and blow smoke out the other. That's how you do it, brother. How? What have you been token on lately movie-wise? Movie-wise, I just saw a movie yesterday. Uh, I think it might be nearing its 
theatrical end by the time this one comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw the latest film from director John Krasinski. Oh, wow. Your favorite director. My favorite director, John <laughs> Krasinski. Uh, he's known as The Office. Um, he, <laughs> it's called... He's a, the titular office. It's called A Quiet Place. Uh, yeah, I've been hearing a lot of good stuff about this. Actually. So it's a horror film. By Platinum Dunes. Our favourite production Our favourite production company, best known for making the remake to A Nightmare on Elm Street. Which is one of the greatest films of all time. As you've heard us talk about it, we sung its praises till the <laughs> its bloody ears fell off. <laughs> till um, its ears burnt off. Yeah, in a tragic, fiery accident <laughs> where we did believe that it had done a crime and then we thought it might not have it. We still burned it to pieces, but luckily it turned out the it film was, was a pedophile. A pedophile. <laughs> the film was luckily... The thing that we murdered was a pedophile. Yeah. Um, but it's from Platinum Dunes and it is probably the best film that they have ever made. Wow. Uh, the best film John Krasinski's made. I've seen one of his films, The Hollars. Yeah. Hated it. Like. Absolutely hated it. It's mm. like Mayonnaise the movie. It's so white, that film. Yummo. Um, I don't <laughs> love that. I'm a Mayonnaise fan. <laughs> Full egg? <laughs> yeah. Full egg Hellman's. <laughs> Welcome to the Hellman's. I'm in. Um, uh, so he. this is a horror film mm-hmm. uh, and it's, its gimmick is that the creatures that lurk in the dark are super sensitive to hearing, yet they are blind. Not yeah. unlike... Batman. <laughs> Batman and Daredevil. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they uh so it's it's kind of a post-apocalyptic world and that's the gimmick for the film. So the film is told mainly silently, visually and um through like sign language and yeah. subtitles and stuff. And I think it's quite good. I didn't it looks froth cool. it as hard as some other people, but I think this is a film that must be seen in the cinema. Okay, wow. Maybe I'll go tomorrow. It's almost challenging people to just not breathe for 90 minutes. Hmm. But also having said that, the movie Don't Breathe is similar gimmick is much better. Okay, wow. Okay. Because I thought Don't Breathe was fine. Oh, okay. Well, maybe you'll like this because it has a supernatural element. Because it has monsters. And you, and you love I'm, I'm monsters. With monsters. You think you... you Every night you climb into your bed and you leave the closet door open hoping yep. for a creature to climb out. You say, well, I'm going to bed now to the beneath of your bed. Yeah, I go, hope no one comes out to attack me. Hope Sully doesn't come through this window. And big eyeball. <laughs> big eyeball boy. <laughs> and Sully. Sully Sullenberger. little bub. <laughs> Sully Sullenberger, who... <laughs> he had the flood in the Hudson, Miracle yeah, Hudson. The greatest pilot of all time. <laughs> if he doesn't come through. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do every night. It looks kind of fun. I've been wanting to see it. It's mm. uh, famously stars real life married couple, oh, yes. John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Yeah, they're great in it together. They have chemistry. It's almost as if. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like they were freaking fucking backstage. That's awesome. Um, but it's really, awesome. it's really, I was impressed by this film. I think um, it has some elements to it that I think John Krasinski uh, has the ability to become a much better director. I think he was better as an actor in this film okay. uh, than he was as a director. And I think he's, I really, really like John Krasinski he's as an actor. he got that beard. He looks fucking sick with a beard, brother. That's all yeah. I'll say. Yeah. Um, but he also, he, I think he's a great actor and I like seeing him in things like this. I mm. like seeing Seeing him in, when I say things like this, I'm talking about movies, full stop. It's nice to see that the bitch is back. You said bitch, I reckon, 14 times this episode. Um, Let's I round it up to 15. Don't know why. Bring I've been it home it with so another much. one. I think I heard someone say bitch in person recently. Oh, yeah. I was like, that sounds cool. 
I'm going to make that my thing now. Yeah, you do adopt a lot of other people's mm, eccentricities yeah. as your own. Yeah. That's something about you that I've noticed. I'm a chameleon, not unlike Steve Buscemi in the aforementioned Monsters Incorporated. <laughs> oh, Great. Thanks for bringing that home. I reckon that's the end of our podcast, bitch. I think this is the final episode <laughs> of Total Reboot. Uh, it's been a pleasure ha- hanging out in your ears again, guys. Um, we have got more episodes in the Star Wars miniseries coming out very soon. Next week, we'll be talking about the original Star Wars trilogy before we move on to the prequels, and then after that, the sequels, and then after that, we're going to close it out with the spin-offs. We're talking Ron Howard's latest film, Solo. Can't wait for Solo. Can't wait to Solo. It's going to be <laughs> so good. Where can people chat to us, dude? We can talk to us on Twitter at Total Reboot Pods. You can talk to me on Twitter at This Is Alexi, and they can talk to you on Twitter at I Am Cameron James. That's right. Also on Instagram, same handle. Chat, me too. Same to you. Um, chat to us on Facebook, please. R- recommend some reboots that we haven't heard about. Yeah, on Facebook, a Total Reboot Movie Podcast. You can talk to us there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you could leave us five stars on iTunes, that oh. would be mucho appreciated. Hey, while you're there. Why don't you recommend a film that you'd like to see rebooted? Oh. And you know what? We're going to stockpile these. And then we're going to start putting out some special eps mm. where we will go through and pitch reboot ideas for these movies. That the listeners, you guys, the freaking Jungle Babies have decided. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting Jungle Babies. I always called them Forest Children because <laughs> I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> so we're going to be doing those uh. in the future. So start sending them in. Uh, you can email us on totalreboot at betapods.net. And you know what's cool about emails is you can attach things to them. So you could attach anything you wanted. Perhaps your student short film and you'd like us to review it. <laughs> <laughs> Please send us your student short films. Uh, so we are part of the Betapods network. It's a cool new network that we started with our friends Kyron and... Mainly just us and Kyron. Yeah. I was saying, uh, I said, it sounded like I was going to say more names, but it is Kyren just me and you. and the internet. And a few other people are involved as well. They've got some, we've got some great podcasts on there. I'm going to recommend one that I'm really loving at the moment. It's Kyron's podcast with Johanna Roberts. It's called Babe of the Day, where they pick a celebrity, a celebrated person, and they kind of just gush over them for 10 minutes and kind of reveal a bit about who they are and why they're into them. I think it's a great podcast it's called Babe of the Day. And I'll see you later, babe. See you, babe. Wait,